Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson is going into his ninth season in the NFL and going into this 2020 season, it feels like Russ is getting more attention as one of the league's top quarterbacks. He's getting the recognition from players as we saw him hit number two. It was his first time in the top 10 of the NFL top 100. He's also the cover story on this month's issue of Sports Illustrated. And today on the show, we have the author of that cover story, Connor Orr of Sports Illustrated and the MMQB joins us. Welcome to the show, Connor. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I am fired up to talk some Russell Wilson. You put together a great story along those lines. And one of the cool things that you did is you focused on Russell Wilson doing Russell Wilson things. And I feel like as as Seahawks fans, that's something that we get used to saying, oh, that's just Russell doing Russell Wilson things. And you sat down with him on video chat to talk about three plays in particular. One of them was the double pirouette throw to Doug Baldwin against Arizona, uh, a fadeaway throw to Jermaine Curse that was part of that big comeback that they ultimately lost that playoff game to the Panthers, and then his throw from the opening game of the 2019 season against the Bengals. I, I'm kind of curious, what uh, what were you trying to do when you put together those three plays in particular? So we wanted to show a little bit of a progression from, you know, like you said, sort of that double pirouette fadeaway throwing style and just how that evolves over time. And while there will always be those spectacular moments, I think what we were trying to show in essence was that he's getting so much better as a quarterback every, uh, every year. And like you go to that game against the Bengals in week one in 2019, the last play. And it's like, this is a culmination of, of, you know, eight, nine years of work. And now even in the most common situations, you know, converting a sort of banal third down, um, he's doing all these incredible things, but in, you know, in a much less like uh, theatrical fashion. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of really interesting sort of like threads there, but there were so many plays to choose from. And we really just want to do, do our best to kind of illustrate that progression there. Yeah, I think one of the plays that really stands out from, I think it was just this past season where, you know, he hits Tyler Lockett on the run in the back corner of the end zone. And it's it's one of those plays where you kind of recognize Russell Wilson, but you also kind of have to recognize Tyler Lockett uh, in sure. that particular play too. But you picked a, a bunch of plays that are kind of, as I'm building a highlight reel in my mind of what could ultimately be a Hall of Fame career for Russell Wilson, these are plays that go into that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I think it's one of those things too where you want it to be representative. And what's interesting about Russell is, you know, I, I, I offered him the chance to pick the plays. Um, he wanted to see what we picked. And um, it's just funny that, you know, he kind of took us on this sort of journey after, um, you know, after he saw what we had chosen. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, so much of what he does is so purposeful. And, you know, I think, I don't think that we as a football viewing public think of, quarterbacks with mobility the way that we do pocket passers, right? So Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, 
Aaron Rodgers, you know, we kind of fawn over the way that they drill, especially Peyton Manning, the robotic nature of his throwing motion and everything like that. But Russell Wilson is the same way. And um, so much of what he does makes the theatrical stuff possible, the scrambling, the fadeaway throwing, um, the juke moves, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so it's almost like, you know, why aren't we paying attention to a quarterback in this way? Because I, I just find that very interesting that, you know, we kind of tend to focus on certain quarterbacks one way and then, uh, you know, mobile quarterbacks like, well, they just do that because they don't know how to do everything else as good as other quarterbacks do. The interesting thing that now that you bring that up, the, the fact that you offered him the ability to pick the plays, but then you went with the, the one that jumped out at me as one that I really didn't remember was the one against Carolina and where he had Jared Allen running him down. And you did the you put up some of the video chat on Sports Illustrated. And the thing that blew me away was how just how dialed into that play he was even these years later and uh, just all the different aspects that went into that particular throw. Yeah, he he kind of blows people away with, um, you know, I, I picked up on it a little bit during our conversation, but you know, everybody made a big deal last year out of Sean McVay listing all the players uh, that he was going to play against the Bears this weekend. And, and, oh, my God, a photographic memory. But I, I was showing Russell this tape, and he was like, yeah, in this play I did a fadeaway uh, throw. And, you know, I remember the first time I did that was my sophomore year of high school to this guy named Spencer Robinson. And it's like, how do you remember that? And uh, But all that stuff is, you know, it's pretty incredible how he kind of utilizes those those gifts and stuff but yeah i mean he how on a on a given play your ability to ignore jared allen a and um luke keekley's on your primary route where you were going and then all of a sudden you kind of like look up in the split second glimpse that you have at the end zone and you notice that kirk coleman is just kind of leaning slightly to his left and you know okay it's time to go right and you just pull the trigger on that i mean i you know i really just wanted to you know i thought it would be cool to have him there to illustrate just how like you know there aren't many people on earth with the ability to do that and i think that's a pretty pretty phenomenal thing that he's able to do there yeah people definitely need to go and check out that video too um so not only did you focus kind of on those parts of russ's game and and his ability to, to make those plays. But you went a little bit deeper and, and looked at the different aspects and the different specialists that he employs to really help give that understanding that, you know, it's not just Russ in this, but he's got a team of people around him really training him up on, on different aspects of his game. Yeah, Jay Keeps, yeah, you know, the um, uh, former Seahawks uh, quarterback. They were teammates there for a little bit. And, uh, you know, what's interesting there is his whole team basically has to create a routine from scratch because in their minds, uh, Russell Wilson, there is no player like Russell Wilson. So we have to make something that no other quarterback has. And so, you know, that could be, you know, anybody who follows him on Instagram can see some of the wacky stuff that they're doing, you know, throwing footballs over goalposts and, you know, but that simulates something in a game that it, that's an exaggerated a large opponent and you know it kind of uh, you know not pokes fun at his height but recognizes sort of the difference there and the struggle that he has there to see over defenders and you know whether it's you know those spin out moves that he does or those pirouettes that he does he practices all that in deep sand you know and that makes it more difficult on him and you know all this stuff that they come up with it's pretty crazy I mean the, the one that really blew my mind was you know that he, he would sit stand unbalanced on like um, you know a balance ball or something like 
that. And then they're throwing these sort of things that look like ninja stars with colored handles at him. And not only does he have to catch it and he's not balancing properly, but he has to catch it on the handle of the color that they're saying. So catch it on green. And like, you know, it it seems maybe easy to do that, but like, I, I, I wouldn't even like, you know, I, I wouldn't even attempt that. I'm sure I would break my leg. But, you know, it's it's pretty incredible to think like, you know, our, we train our minds to work a certain way and he's kind of training his along with, you know, the athleticism, um, the throwing ability. And it's really creating this sort of like superhuman quarterback sort of vibe, you know? Connor, I feel like Seahawks fans have been pounding the table for years about recognizing what, you know, a lot of us see in, in the greatness of Russell. And even in the years where the Legion of Boom was more the face of the franchise, I I felt like that was happening. But now, and I don't know if it's because that special defense is gone or if people are just starting to see like a lot of these plays building up over the years. What's your take on it? Well, you know, it's funny because my editor, Gary Grambling, who who kind of spearheaded the idea for the piece, you know, we were saying that it's almost like not a fear, but you're wondering if he gets lost in sort of the shuffle in terms of NFL history, right? Because he comes in and he wins that Super Bowl, um, and it's still sort of we're saying goodbye to Peyton Manning, we're saying goodbye to Eli Manning, we're starting to say goodbye to Philip Rivers and Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger and all those quarterbacks that sort of defined that era of football. And Tom Brady, you could throw in there, obviously, but and, and then you know he finally steps into his own, but. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about Patrick Mahomes. We're talking about Deshaun Watson, um, you know, all these other talented players. And, you know, my editor and I were like, what if like, you know, what if he sort of gets lost in the shuffle here? What if it's just one Super Bowl? What if it's, you know, I I don't think people are going to understand how truly great and unique it is. You know, maybe he ends up like, you know, the way that people talk about Warren Moon now or Steve McNair when those guys were so awesome, but for some reason just, you know, kind of got bookended in, in history for one reason or another. And I think that that was one of those things that was kind of on our mind is like, you know, we should really kind of dig into this because, you know, I, everyone knows obviously that he's a good player, but I think, you know, there's, there's probably some doubt as to like how good in some people's minds. Well, I think part of that even goes into this discussion of the offseason. I, I feel like it's been it's it's building to one of those things to where, like, uh, we heard for so long, you know, Jerome Bettis is from Detroit going into the Super Bowl. Jimmy Graham played basketball. And now <laughs> we've been hearing this offseason. Russell Wilson has never been the recipient of even a single MVP vote. And I, I think that leads into that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the MVP thing still blows my mind, but it is it is sort of a weird you know, you could say it's a certain number of years of bad luck. I mean, Lamar Jackson comes out of nowhere last year and plays the way um, that he did. And obviously he's a super talented player that's going to be around for a long time, but it is funny, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a narrative. And, you know, I, I will say that I think that people who uh, pay attention to the numbers have been such a gift to us. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it creates kind of a funny argument on Twitter or something like that. You know, people like to fight with um, some of the analytics people, but you know, they have brought to life so many good players of our generation that I think would have just been like vaguely underappreciated. And I think that Russell maybe not totally rode that wave, but is certainly a champion of, of that cause and of that segment of the football population. And I'm glad that he is because I think that, um, if, if our greater understanding of the sport maybe didn't come around, he would just be looked at as sort of a serviceable plus, player and not like a guy who should have been getting MVP votes eight years ago. 
Latvia. And it, it is a little bit of bad luck because his first year where he was really a, a big part of the Seahawks offense and uh, where he really kind of started to break out, it was that second half of the 2015 season. But of course, that was the year that Cam Newton led the the Panthers to the 15 and one record. And he had such a great season. So I think he ended up being the, uh, if not, you know, the he was definitely the runaway guy, but uh, he may have even got all the votes. But then you had Tom Brady at 40 and everybody's, oh, Tom Brady, 40 years old, doing such great things. And that was the year Russell led the NFL in touchdown passes. Then you had Mahomes throwing 50 plus touchdowns and Lamar Jackson. So it is a, a certain sense of bad luck. But I do feel like with all this offseason hype, too, it, it may be leading up to where that narrative of, oh, Russell hasn't had an MVP vote to where it, it, people maybe start to feel like, OK, well, now it's his time. Yeah. And, and maybe that's true. You know, I know that I know one, uh, you know, MVP voter and that's um, Jenny Ventus, who's my coworker at Sports Illustrated and, and she's the best. And that, that, you know, the effort that she puts into all that kind of stuff, you know, and the thought that goes into it, I can't speak for anybody else um, that um, that votes in that. Uh, you know, in that segment. However, you know, I wish that it would have, you know, the case could have been made sooner. I mean, he's 31, you know, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, what were we missing all this time? I mean, and, and part of the reason that I kind of wanted to dig deeper and go back to some of the plays from 2015 and 2016 is like, you know, this has been happening for so long. And so why, why just now, but better late than never. And again, I think if he leads them to let's say deep into the playoffs, if they reach a conference championship game this year, which they're certainly capable of doing, you know, then maybe he finally gets that, uh, that focus um, and that spotlight. Uh, even who knows? I mean, th- there's a million different things. I mean, he could be a victim of the offensive revolution that we've had over the last three or four years. He's a spectacular player, but he's not playing with Andy Reid or Sean McVay or Lincoln Riley or you know any of these guys that have kind of been a little bit more cutting edge in that in that vein too, and putting up more eye catching numbers. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I'm just glad you said it's Jenny that has the MVP vote and, and not your other colleague at the MMQB, Andy Benoit, because I still <laughs> I still remember Connor. It was just last season. He was saying that he would take Jacoby Brissett over Russell Wilson. I don't know if that's changed or not, but it stuck with me. I've had some very good arguments with Andy uh, over uh, the course of our time together and on matters uh, that come to football i will defer to him 99.99 percent of the time but we do differ on my uh, appreciation of russell wilson i will say that yeah, but uh, everybody I will say differs that he is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i will say that andy is a uh, is a beautiful football mind so but they, you know it's uh, even even sometimes those uh those guys make mistakes too so. <laughs> we, we all have our blind spots so <laughs> yeah they, that's right yeah yeah Well, coming up next, Connor, I want to get your take on the Seahawks coaching staff and how they've impacted Russell's game over the years. I also want to talk about whether you have them inside or outside the postseason picture. All of that coming up next. Joined by Connor Orr of Sports Illustrated. We're talking Russell Wilson. And before we got into talking about how wrong Andy Benoit is about Russell Wilson, and how terrible of a take it is to not even consider him as one of the NFL's top quarterbacks. You mentioned some of the coaches you consider on the cutting edge of offensive coaches. What's your take on the work that Pete Carroll's done in coaching Russell Wilson over the years? You know, I struggle with it because, uh, you know, there is part of me that 
thinks that Russell could have, like we said, I mean, that Russell could have been Pat Mahomes by now or Lamar Jackson. He could have had one of those seasons with the ridiculous numbers and, you know, the 45 to 50 touchdowns. And, you know, you're like, well, what would have happened if Pete Carroll got teamed up with, I don't know, you know, one of the better offensive coordinators that's come around here in the last five or 10 years, what would have happened if Pete Carroll who had a college background, you know, would, would have been quick to jump on, you know, someone like Cliff Kingsbury. So, you know, and, and maybe the air raid isn't exactly the right system for Russell Wilson, but I'm just kind of being broad here, but sure. you know, I, I think that, um, you know, that's one side of it. The other side of it is, you know, there's so many football coaches that you talk to that still do ba- pound the table for balance and that balance is so important and, and, you know, balance leads to success. I mean, they are a very efficient offensive football team and have been for a majority of Pete Carroll's career. And maybe, yes, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing style of football. And could it be maddening sometimes? Sure. But, you know, is it effective? Uh, yes, I think that's also true. So it's like one of those weird uh, kind of double side of the coin things where I do think that they're building a more sustainable football team, uh, a more difficult to stop football team. And, but, but over a longer period of time, you know, I think that, you know, in two or three years, might Baltimore be uh, a little bit easier to slow down. It, yeah, I think so. Uh, if they don't evolve, you know, but I think Seattle is interesting in that they've sort of plotted along in this way. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that is sort of a, a victory for the coaches who are saying you got to run the ball, you know, close to 50% of the time and yada, yada, yada. I mean, you know, those guys have been around for a long time and maybe they know something too, you know? Yeah. I, I do think that there's something that's, there's an important aspect of it that maybe can't quite be measured, but you know, a lot of Seahawks fans, especially when Daryl Bevel was fired from the team, we were thinking, okay, here's, here's the chance for them to go out and get somebody who's you know, maybe a little bit more offensive minded and they go and get Brian Schottenheimer, which, you know, if you know his dad at all, you kind of have to expect. And, you know, we saw him uh, be an offensive coordinator down in uh, in L.A. and with the Jets. And so uh, the history there wasn't a big part of it. But I do think that we've seen a growth in Russell's game over these three years. I think that, you know, and I covered the Jets as a beat reporter for a majority of the Mark Sanchez and Brian Schottenheimer era. You know, I know that offense very well and, you know, its origins and, you know, the Coriel system and, you know, sort of the theories behind all that stuff. And I do think, and I I think that a lot of people in Russell's camp agree that he has become a better pocket passer over the last two or three years, much better pocket passer. Not that he was bad in the first place, but you know, how much of this, you know, throwback pro style system forces that on him a little bit, you know, and really makes him hone in on stuff and work on stuff that, um, that he might not have been working on now, you know, uh, would it be better to see, you know, I mean, would, would all of us, especially Seahawks fans would, would they freak out to be able to see him, you know, with, like I said, Lincoln Riley, Sean McVay, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that would be incredible um, and and really dangerous. But um, I do think that begrudgingly it might have made him a better passer in, in, in one way, shape, or form, you know. And, and it's a difficult offense to learn, too. So, you know, it's not like anybody can run Brian Schottenheimer's system. So, I don't know. I mean, yes, on one hand, is it a missed opportunity? I think so. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, well, you, you might have ended up with a better quarterback because of it. And maybe somewhere down the line, you're going to be harder to stop. So, I don't know. I, I'm trying to paint a little bit more of an optimistic picture for Seahawks fans. I understand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I grew up as a Browns fan. 
fan, so I get it. You know, there's a there's a lot of bad offensive coordinators out there. Well, they are going into their third year together, so I do think that that continuity is going to help. I think that maybe Schottenheimer initially tried to get Russell Moore involved in the offense, and it was just that you know it's it's wild to me that in the first two games where they really you know, threw it all over the field, it was against Von Miller and the Broncos, and then the next week was against Khalil Mack, and then I felt like after those two weeks and not having success and losing those two road games. Pete Carroll's like, oh, we're going back to running the ball more. That's that's a typical reaction. You know what I mean? Is like, okay, I'm open minded. Nah, screw this. You know, and 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 that's and that's every good Super Bowl winning head coach since the beginning of time. I mean, I coached, I covered the Giants for three years, and you know how many times did uh, fan, the fan base beg for them to go up tempo? This was before Chip Kelly, but the Patriots were doing it and killing people with it. Why aren't we running no huddle? Why aren't we running no huddle? And then they do it for a half against you know the Vikings, and they go into the half down fourteen points, and Tom Coughlin says, "Screw it, we're never doing it again." And then. <laughs> speed and tempo takes over the sport. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that if you have a vision and an idea of how it's supposed to look, it's very hard to alter or change that. I mean, you need something really special from a coordinator perspective, somebody with cachet and respect to show up at your door and say, no, you're doing this wrong. And let just stay out of my side of the building and let me figure this out. And I don't think Pete Carroll is that kind of guy, you know, there aren't that many coaches with the Super Bowl. But maybe he gets in his own way sometimes, but you know, at the end of the day, he still does win a lot of games. So, yeah. also hard to argue as a Seahawks fan, you know, like me who lived through the '90s to be upset with a coach who's brought us winning season year after year since he's been yeah. with Seattle. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's worse other places. Yeah, <laughs> like you said, you you were a Browns fan for a while. <laughs> it can be yeah, a lot yeah. worse. That was, yeah, it was not a fun time growing up that way. So. Connor, you're also the co-host of the Weekside Podcast, one of the shows that you get when you subscribe to the MMQB NFL podcast. And on one of your recent shows, you had the Seahawks among your playoff teams this year. So another, uh, you're, you're expecting another year of success from this team. And I picked them to win the Super Bowl last year before the Clowney trade. And then when the Clowney trade happened, I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's actually going to happen. Um, you know, I, I thought, but I also picked the Ravens to go four and 12. Um, so, Ouch. you know, there's, you know, so the, you take the good with the bad, I guess, but yeah, I, I think that they're going to bounce back and everyone that's kind of hollering at us and saying, well, the Cardinals are the trendy team this off season and the, and the 49ers are the 49ers. Look how, look at it, how that happens. Historically, the Rams were in the Super Bowl two years ago and then they missed the playoffs. I easily think that the 49ers could miss the playoffs this year. It's not like, you know, these schemes aren't undefeatable and, you know, perpetually, you know, um, impenetrable. And so I think that, you know, there's going to be some seesawing there and that division is going to be really good, but I just think that the Seahawks are getting better. And I think this might be, uh, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I think this is going to be one of the better defenses we've seen since the Legion of boom. Right. I think it's one of those things where like the Legion of boom probably started fading long before we as a collective, you know, football public wanted to recognize that, but that happens with every great defense. And all of a sudden, um, we got to a point where they're wherever they are in DVOA and everyone's like, Oh crap. I mean, this is a bad team. And, uh, but, um, I, I think that they're going to be closer to the Legion of boom, not Legion of boom level, but closer to that than they've been since that defense sort of started breaking apart and, and fading away. So I, I think that's going to have a big, uh, a lot to deal with it too. You know, I think this is, uh, um, they've been building the right way and, you know, Jamal Adams is a huge uh, acquisition too. So I, I, I don't see why they shouldn't make the playoffs this year. 
Oh, man, I'm fired up. And we're getting to the point where we're less than two weeks away from the start of the NFL season. So this is so going to be weird. fun. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, <laughs> I, 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 you know, like to have the off season like it is, I mean, usually we've got these robust kind of training camp tours already. I've seen most of the teams and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, you just feel like so unprepared. <laughs> but but that and it's so unprepared for a season that like, where are we? You know, it's just one of those things that it feels like it hit us out of nowhere. But um, yeah, it'll be fun, you know. Yeah, I, I am really looking forward to it. Uh, Connor Orr, follow him on Twitter at Connor Orr. Definitely check out the Sports Illustrated cover story and be sure and go over to SI.com and check out that 10-minute video with Connor and Russ that hits on some of those highlights. Connor, appreciate you making time for it and coming on the show. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. A huge thanks to Connor Orr for coming on the show and talking about one of my favorite topics, just how good Russell Wilson is. One big news item from over the weekend that could make Russ happy is bringing back wide receiver Paul Richardson. He had that breakout season in 2017 where he had 44 receptions, over 700 yards, then got a big contract from Washington, played in 17 games over those two years, only started 10 games over those two seasons, and had about 48 catches, 500 yards over that span. So if he could stay healthy, he could be a nice addition for the receiving core. The Seahawks also got some unfortunate news on the injury front, and Brandon Jackson was placed on injured reserve over the weekend listening to Pete Carroll in his press conference held after the Seahawks' third and final mock game. Uh, this mock game was just held at the VMAC. He mentioned Jackson's name, along with guys like Cliff Averill and Cam Chancellor, as having a kind of condition that could make this a career-ending injury for him. So, a very unfortunate injury for Brandon Jackson. If you head on over to fieldgoals.com, John P. Gilbert and Alistair Corp both have articles up there with some more information also, an article up from John P. Gilbert on Yannick Ngakwe going to the Minnesota Vikings. You know, he was a name on the radar of Seahawks fans this offseason. He goes to the Vikings for a second-round pick next year and a conditional fifth-round pick in 2022. The Vikings are going to pay him somewhere in the $13 million range. He was willing to take a little bit of a pay cut coming from Jacksonville. And so, personally, if the Seahawks are going to pay a pass rusher in the neighborhood of $13 million or so. I'd much rather see them give Clowney that money and hold on to those two draft picks. And who knows, maybe this helps show Clowney where the market is at and he can get a deal done with the Seahawks because he hasn't even seemed to visit anywhere yet. And the start of the season is coming up quick. So a lot to watch there. Let your friends know they can subscribe to this podcast and other team shows at SBNation.com slash NFL podcasts. I'll be back later this week. I think Clinton Bonner is going to come in for a preseason episode of three in three out. So stay tuned for that one. I'll have that for you later this week. And until then, go Hawks. <laughs>